Hello, everyone. Welcome back this week. It's a big week for me. I'm moving, so I'm actually packing right now, but took a break to record the intro to the podcast. And my internet got shut off a day early, so I'm hoping this goes out today, Wednesday, the um, 4th of August. But if not, it'll be out on the 5th. And it's just a matter of having to balance things this week. I also have my Camden Fringe show starting on Sunday, the 8th. So if people are in London and you're listening to this and it's not yet passed, you should check out the show Nice Try. And I'm performing with Stephanie Lawrence, another American comedian, and she's in her show Clown Nipples. And we're going to do that from the 8th through the 11th of August and then the 15th of August. And we have an interpreter, BSL interpreter on the 11th. So we were trying to just be as accessible as possible. Our venue is not that accessible, to be honest, or our stairs, but just knowing coming off of the whole pandemic, which is still going on. Um, <laughs> I, it's yeah, I can't even get into that right now. But coming out of most things being online, one thing that was pointed out is accessibility was so much better when everything was online because people could get captioning if they were hearing impaired for example and there was not the issue of having to transport yourself somewhere so we're trying to do what we can and I'm really excited about the show I'm really proud of putting this show together but enough about that this week I'm talking to Nicole Pearson she's someone and we'll talk a little bit about it but I, I met 20 years ago at the MS Society in San Diego and I was when I was first diagnosed and so I've come pretty far in how I handle that and how I handle talking about my MS and it's even part of my show but it just talking to someone who had such an impact on me early on and getting to talk to her about her career and what she's done and she's always been in some kind of service first it was really around some you know disease or conditions and now it's in a different space. She's working somewhere she's very passionate about. And it, it was just really cool. But we do talk about service. And for me, it's very important. I think the more we have, the more we should give and we can give. And even for my show, we're giving some to charity because I'm not doing this just for money right now. And I, it's a privilege that I can put on a show at Camden Fringe. But because I have a day job and I have a career I have, I can I can put on a show and not have to do it for the money and not rely on that for me to be secure financially and so I can give. And I think everyone has something to give and we have different amounts and I really encourage people to find organizations that speak to them and speak to their values and what they are interested in. If it's a health condition, if it's a social issue, whatever it is, and see what you can do. You might be able to just make a small $5 donation and that's giving, or you might be able to volunteer at an event or something like that. There's so much you can do. I do some mentoring right now and that's something that's important to me as well. And so it's a little preachy right now, unironically, <laughs> because we also get into Christianity on this podcast, this episode, and it was really important for me to have a guest on that I could talk to about that. So I did. I myself am agnostic. I've fought many times with religion and my feelings about organized religion and also just my feelings of what I do and don't believe. But she works in a faith-based organization. And so Nicole was willing to talk to me about what that means 
what that means to her and what that means to be part of that kind of organization. And surprisingly for me, we get into a talk that really becomes about inclusivity. And it really has made me think a lot. One thing that's cool is a lot of my guests make me think a lot. And I really reflect on what they've said. And I do it right after I talk to them. And then a month or two later when I'm editing, I do the same thing again. So I have a lot of friends who are Christian, just like I have a lot of friends who are other different, identify in different ways, is different different things or labels, however, identities, however the right way to say it is. And I've been inclusive about having podcasts that would maybe resonate with them or promote awareness of them. And so in this case, I'm, this is for you guys who are listening and for everyone else, it's not all about religion, but I think it's a valuable discussion to listen to. Even if you're atheist or agnostic or actually, you know, have another religion, I think it's really valuable because I, I just learned so much. Another thing we talk about is imposter syndrome. I am suffering from that right now. I just started a new role at work. I'm in the process of transitioning to it in marketing and as much as I do to market myself I am I am so in it right now with the imposter syndrome I'm just wondering if I can do it and then with this show I'm doing again same thing I feel like I'm doing a lot of things that are filling me with that but then in talking to Nicole and just thinking about how I've built resilience over the years and really part of the point of this podcast is to tell people you have value outside of what you do at work but also you have value and you have proven like a proven track record for what you can accomplish. So that means you have evidence that you can be successful in the next thing. So that's what I've been telling myself. And I hope that resonates with someone who's listening. I'm going to get to the show now. This is a long intro, but there was just a lot I wanted to say at the start. So I'm really grateful for Nicole for doing this chat with me and I hope you enjoy it. Please, as always, I'm going to ask if you can follow, subscribe, review. That would be amazing. I'm also on Good Pods now, so you can follow the pod there if you want. That's kind of a social app for listening to podcasts. Pretty cool. I'm just checking it out. And enjoy the show. Give me feedback, or if you have a guest idea, let me know. Morethanworkpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Have a good week. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Here we go. Welcome back, guys. So today I have Nicole Pearson. She's assistant manager of engagement at Thrivent. And she's someone who I think I've known now for 20 years, which is, yeah, quite a long time. Oh. And we're still in our 20s. Super weird. But, <laughs> but yeah, Nicole, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. It's been a long, it's been too long, Rabia, since we've connected. So but yeah, so Nicole Pearson, live in San Diego. I am married, been married about um, 18 years now. I have a 14-year-old son. And I have been here, gosh, in San Diego about 22 years. 
but I am a traveler, love exploring different parts of the world, and um, I love kind of living in service, right? So that's why I was so excited to talk to you on your on your podcast, because it's something that's really been a guiding thing in my life. So right now I work for Thrivent. Like you said, I've been here about four and a half years. And my job with Thrivent is super unique. So I get to work with different churches and nonprofits in San Diego and really help connect them to our resources that we have and help their members of their congregation really get on a path to financial clarity so that they can live a life of generosity. So that's what's really exciting to me about my work is I get to really steer them towards a life of giving back, which is so important to me. Yeah, for sure. And basically, we met when I was at Pro Flowers, and you were at the National MS Society. And you were basically the liaison for me into the MS Society and really helped me build a foundation for what's become an important part of my life, which is Mm -hmm. service and fundraising and things like that. I don't know if you know that, but you were very critical in that. In in my personal, I I hate saying journey, you know, my journey. (laughs) But it yeah, is a journey though it is, and that makes me feel so good to know that you know we were able to create an experience that together was so positive for you that you were like, hey, I want to continue down this path, and you've done that. Yeah, wow. and just helped me share my story for very like now I'm way more comfortable sharing it. I don't, yeah, it doesn't bother me. But back then it was really like a hard thing to do. Yeah. So was that your first job? Out after college and your first time working in service, or how did you even get there? Just going back to that point. Yeah, that was my first job, Rabia. Oh my gosh. My first job and the job I've been at the longest. And I remember when I was finishing up with college, I was at Arizona State University and I had a mentor. And the mentor had had years of experience in nonprofit. And I didn't really know that I necessarily wanted to go into nonprofit work, but I remember saying to him and actually saying to my family as well, I, I, I remember saying, if I'm going to work really hard for something, I want it to be something that matters. I had a really hard time thinking about working really hard for a company that was like making widgets or <laughs> just in it from the bottom line. Yeah. Right? Like I always had this feeling that I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make an impact. And so when I met this mentor and we started talking about things that were important to me, that's when he said to me, well, why don't you go into nonprofit? And I was like, okay, like, that sounds great. And so I actually planned to move out to San Diego before I even had the job at the MS Society. And then I got that job. And I think my role was, it was called like, oh, MS Walk Coordinator or something like that. <laughs> entry of the entry level job. It's like the Um, other thing could have been, you were just walking. (laughs) Exactly. It would have been like walker or my job. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But it was, it was actually great, Robbie, because, because I entered so entry level that I then through experience got to grow so much in that role. And I met so many amazing people. I mean, my network just like, just expanded so rapidly because I was working with companies like Pro Flowers and Qualcomm and all these different organizations. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I was there at the MS Society for about 12 years. And I think you and I really started working together maybe like five or six years in when Mm -hmm. I started working with corporate teams for our fundraising events. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because we had a 
Well, we had a team that grew quite a bit. So I think my first team was like 10 people or something. And then we ended up with 100. And Yeah. yeah. And you are always doing amazing events at Pro Flowers. And we just together, right, got to come up with ways to engage people. And I remember now that you say it, initially you had a little bit of trouble. You were cautious to ask people to support because you felt like, well, it's for me, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm the one with MS. And I remember yeah. having those conversations and I was like, it's, but it's so much bigger than that. It's for everybody that has them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But it would always feel, yeah. And I still, I mean, I'll be like that now about things like even comedy. Like I have coworkers coming to see me do a preview of my solo show tonight. And yeah. so we're, we're doing this on what June 2nd, but it still feels weird to ask people to do something, but yeah, then you're right. You just kept giving me the bigger picture. And then that led to me. And this is not you interviewing me. I understand that, but <laughs> <laughs> why, not? But, why not but it gave me the confidence too to share my story with other people for the benefit of a greater good and that's kind of where that that came from was partly just that early work we did together where you just kept coaching me on that so yeah that's yeah, yeah. oh what a good team we were we were I know we need to find more causes, but yeah. So, so you started out as this MS walk coordinator. Do you remember what you were when you left and you'd really worked up into a different spot? Yes. So by the time I left, I was the director of community engagement, which is hilarious because that's what I'm doing now at Thrivent. And who would have known that it would have led to this role, but I loved it at MS. And when I left, I was really focused on, being out in the community and making those connections to invite people to participate in the cause of MS, mm -hmm. right? And I only honestly left because my boss left and she said, come with me to the Diabetes Association. And we had such a fabulous working relationship. I, I was torn to leave a cause that I loved so much, right? Mm -hmm. I was so invested in the cause of MS and had met so many wonderful people who I felt like I was impactful in their lives, right? They were living with a mess. Mm -hmm. And so, but then I, I, in talking with her about it, I was like, why not kind of, there's nothing wrong with working towards another cause too, right? People can support yeah. multiple causes in their lives. And so I went with her to the Diabetes Association for a couple of years and kind of the same capacity, really working with corporations, fundraisers, uh, individual fundraisers for our events and really spreading the word about diabetes and its impact on people too. So that, that brings up for me, that whole thing, just talking about you're being dedicated to one cause or another. And I guess in a lot of people I talk to, and even myself, I've experienced it where like with work and it doesn't matter if it's a cause or if it's a product or what it is, it could be, the product could be money. I mean, if you're like a finance person or working a bank or the product could be, you know, for me, a lot of websites right now that we build for clients, but with your work in nonprofit and meeting patients or people living with the various conditions, their families, and then also maybe having your own life where you may be dealing with other issues and illnesses or whatever, how did, how do you draw boundaries and have you developed over time ways of doing that? Because I think that'd be really tough and mm -hmm. burnout. Yeah. You know, it was, it, it is tough for sure. I mean, and I can even talk about silly stuff that when you're surrounded by a condition all day long and that's your life, then 
it's kind of like one of those things where when you buy a car, then you see the car everywhere. When I started working for MS, all of a sudden people were popping up all over the place that had MS. And it was interesting because I felt like there were very blurred boundaries between just my personal life and my life at the MS Society. And I remember telling my husband this. I said, I feel like I'm always on. I'm Mm -hmm. always working. Like we could be at a barbecue with a bunch of people that I didn't know. And obviously people would always say, oh, you know, what do you do for work? And as people were telling me what they would do for work, I would filter that through my lens of, would this be a good team for our MS walk? Mm. Oh, do you do corporate sponsorship? Right. It was like, I could never turn that off. I could never not see people as a potential contributor to our organization. And so I don't, honestly, I don't think that I ever found a good way to turn that off, Rabia. And that was one of the things that I think I was kind of excited about when I was moving to Thrivent is I thought it would be a little bit different. I thought Mm -hmm. I would have more of a distinction between my work life and my home life. And I have not found that to be the case. Like I'm still kind of the same because I still, even though I'm not working for a nonprofit that's looking to eradicate a disease, I have something, I have access to resources that I know people really need. So I'm Mm -hmm. always listening. And if I hear those keywords, then I'm going to talk to them about what it is that I have that can help them, right? So it's kind of the same. I don't know. Maybe that's something that I need to explore for myself a little bit on how to draw those boundaries. It's hard. Well, or if it's okay, then you don't have to necessarily, right? If it's not negatively impacting you. I mean, maybe that's part of doing what you love doing. It's hard probably to think back to you in college, but did you know you wanted to work with people? I mean, one thing you have to do is work a lot with people, right? Mm-hmm. Was that always mm-hmm. an interest of yours? Or is there even anything you wanted to be focused on that you haven't yet, maybe? Mm, that's funny. So it's it's hilarious because if if anyone were to be like, what are your skill sets? I would <laughs> literally be like, I don't have any other than talking to people. <laughs> it's kind of all that I'm good at and it's funny but in a in a way it's true right it's soft skills mm-hmm. and not everyone has them but I am definitely a person that always knew that I wanted to be around people and I wanted to be interacting with them so whether that was well in fact that actually reminds me that's why when I was talking to my parents kind of about what do I want to major in what do I want to do my dad was like well you should be in sales. You're going to be the so good in sales because you're so good with people and that's what you like to do. But that's when I was like, I don't know that that's going to fill my bucket, right? right? I want to feel like I'm living a purposeful life and I don't know if that is going to fill my bucket. So I think here's what's lucky. I think that there are people, a lot of people in the world whose work doesn't really fill their bucket in that way. Mm-hmm. And so they seek that outside of their work. I have actually a really good friend in my in my tight knit circle, and she's an environmental planner, but mm-hmm. she's also very service minded. But she said to me, I don't need to get that out of my job. My environmental planning job is serving a purpose in my life. And so I volunteer outside of my work hours and that's okay with me. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to combine them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So for you, it was important to do that. No, that makes sense. Well, and it's good you found a way to do that. So when you left MS and then you left the Diabetes Association? Yep. 
yep, yeah. diabetes institution. Then where was the next thing you, what was the next step and how did you, cause that was your first time going into a faith-based. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I just really been feeling when I was working with the ADA, really feeling this tugging that I wanted to be more involved in, in my community, which is hilarious because I was working in an organization that served the community, but I, it's like something was missing and kind of concurrently at the same time, I was getting more and more involved at my church and actually taking on responsibilities mm-hmm. that included leading outreach projects. So I would coordinate members of my church to go down to the local rescue mission and like serve meals on a weekend or something like that. And I was finding that I was getting so much joy and fulfillment out of that. I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if I could find a faith-based nonprofit that I could put my efforts towards because this idea, it's totally like Christianese word, but of kingdom work, right? (laughs) I've never heard that before. Christianese is totally a thing, right? (laughs) Christians can cloak any words, you know, in a Christian speak. So I just remember thinking, you know, there's, it's great to be involved in service for the Diabetes Association. But my heart was to go out and make a difference, but under the umbrella of this is me expressing God's love to our Mm -hmm. community. And so I'm telling you, I was at an organization here in San Diego. I think they actually are a national organization. It's called the Barnabas Group. And this is a group of uh, business people that have decided to, utilize their skill sets and tools to help small nonprofits launch kind of like an incubator. Mm. So I was at one of these meetings and I met a man there who we just connected, started talking about what we were doing. And he said, well, I know this organization called outside the bull. They're looking for a development director. And it's like, you would be great in that role. Can I introduce you to them? I was like, sure. Mm. So it was something that was just, a right time, right place. And I moved to that organization after the Diabetes Association. It was weird because I'd come from this world of large national nonprofits mm-hmm. to this nonprofit where it was the executive director who was also the founder, and then me and one other person working in the US, and the rest of our staff were all global because our wow. operations were global. I'd never worked in a global organization before. And so it was a huge learning curve for me, but I felt so happy to be there and like, yeah, this is the next step for me. That's really cool. Did that give you the opportunity to really build processes or were you kind of integrating with others or just from the perspective of growth? Because I know in my world, this would translate to me working, having worked in more of a startup and then worked Mm -hmm. in big corporations, but you usually are kind of bootstrappy when you're in those little things, little offices. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what it was. So I'd say that was the biggest challenge I'd really had in my career because the buck stopped at me. And I came into an organization that really had no structure or foundation for a successful development operation, right? So we're a nonprofit. We survived literally on individual gifts and corporate gifts. So Mm. we didn't have any grant funding. It was it had been just very like shoestring when I yeah. came into it. And so they 
obviously tasked me with creating the whole structure around fundraising. And that's when you totally have the imposter syndrome and start doubting your abilities. And I was like, Ugh, can I do this? Am I even like equipped? Did I like fool them to think that I'm the <laughs> yeah. job, right? Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but it's Yeah. I mean, oof. basically, yes, I've been battling it a lot lately, but yeah, I mean, Abbas yeah. was comedy for one thing, cause I'm like doing a solo show and that's like, how dare I even be on stage? And then it happens at work too, you know, right. especially when things change, it's like, okay, like they have confidence in you. And also, I mean, what I always do is look at my track record. I go, Oh yeah, here's a time when I learned and I proved yeah. I could learn so I can do it again. But it, you have to like really go back. You, do. <laughs> you know, that's a yeah. great, that's a great skill. I'm actually reading a book right now. You might like it. It's called chatter mm-hmm. and it's, Chatter is the negative voice in our head Oh, okay. that creates those ruminating thoughts that, you know, I'm not good enough for this, or I'm going to fail at this or whatever. And one of the techniques that he gives for stopping chatter is looking back and seeing where we succeeded in the same scenario and how we can overcome that again. Huh. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how'd you get through it when you. So for me, it was exactly that I said to, I said to myself, self, <laughs> <laughs> self, <laughs> <laughs> no, like when's the last time you failed at something that you really set out to mm-hmm. do, right? And I was like, well, not like a massive failure where I got fired from my job. I can't think of something yeah. like that. I'm like, I know I can do this. I've got 15 years of experience underneath my belt to figure this out. So for me, I just really buckled down and I used resources that I could get my hands on, right? Like I didn't try to go it alone. I reached out to people that I worked with before, got their input on how they would go about it if they were me and just kind of bringing together my connections and gleaning all that I could from that. And then just, yeah, believing in myself. Like they they didn't choose the wrong person for the job, right? I was very equipped to do this. And what knowledge I did lack, I could figure out how to gain the knowledge to, to do it. And mm-hmm. so I was so excited because we saw so much year over year increase in fundraising. And I felt like you could, uh, I could immediately look back at the results and attribute them to my efforts. So that was super fulfilling, right? Yeah. Especially when it comes to fundraising, because you're like, yeah, we can do more now because of this. We were able to hire on another team member here in the, in the U.S. to be with our office. So then we grew to an office of four people. So it was like a, what, like a 30% increase in staff or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was. That's a big deal. Yeah. We were as small as we were. You know, but for for having me being the only fundraising staff member, we were still raising over a million dollars a year. Nice. That's Which awesome. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. yeah. What was their focus or cause? So the focus was global hunger. The CEO, the founder of this organization was an engineer who just kind of had had his career and he was at a place in his life where he was like, I want to spend the rest of my life and my career making a difference for people. So he developed what we call the super kitchen that had the capacity to produce 300,000 meals a day. It was crazy a day. A day. The, where? The, um, where is yeah, that? Yeah. So, well, they're all over the, the globe. So when oh, I was I there, see. yeah, we had two in Mexico, two super kitchens in Mexico. 
We had one in South Africa. We had one in Haiti. And when I left, they were looking to build one in Malawi. I think they have many more than that now. But the idea was in in a lot of these developing countries, the government can't or won't step in to Mm -hmm. feed people. And so Mm -hmm. it it relies on, you know, outside people to help. And so, and I don't want to say Americans, right? But what I loved about this program is our food basically went to small churches orphanages, nonprofits, maybe just the guy on the corner who wanted to feed the kids in his neighborhood. And basically our kitchen would deliver in these food grade buckets meals for him to serve the kids in his kind of community. And our delivery truck would go around and just drop off these buckets on the daily to these Mm. different organizations and people that were feeding the kids. Uh, It was mostly kids that were undernourished, you know? Yeah. And so I I loved that because I felt like I was helping to meet Mm -hmm. people around the globe. And the cool thing is within country, all of the products that we cooked with were all locally sourced. So Mm -hmm. our organization was able to put money back into the communities. And then it wasn't like us doing the feeding we were just providing the food, but then the locals were doing the feeding, which I think is so important because I, I, and I learned a lot just in, you know, global humanitarian aid. You got to allow people to help themselves. You have to help Mm -hmm. them help themselves, right? We just Mm -hmm. can't go in there and as Americans and fix Mm -hmm. everything. It's not dignifying to the people that you're serving and and they have their own resources. They just need a leg up sometimes, you know, a hand up. Right. Well, yeah, and there's the whole idea. I mean, I've heard about it a few times and discussed it with a previous guest. Um, This one guest, Lucia Nunez, worked, well, she worked on the Biden campaign with the volunteers. Yeah. But she said one of the hardest things is like the average volunteer is a middle-aged white woman. But then will, and I'll say will, because I'm I'm a middle-aged white woman, <laughs> come in and think <laughs> we're like gonna, you know, come in and save people. Yeah. And not there to listen, not there to enable, not there to whatever, but just to save. And there's a whole idea of us being saviors of like, oh, we'll come in and rescue you and give you food. And so I think that is good because you're empowering them to take care of themselves. But also, I mean, that helps restore some dignity to people too, right? Because if you're food insecure or housing insecure or something, that has to be hard enough. So that's cool. Absolutely. The founder and everybody, they obviously did time to see what could really make an impact. And I've been doing this course, this public leadership credential. And that's one thing, too, that they talked about was understanding the area you're serving. If things are a certain way there, like it's not for you to tell them, no, not to do it that way, but it's for you to figure it out. So exactly. Yeah. He taught me a lot in in regards to that. We all had to read this book and I Mm -hmm. recommend it to anybody. It's called When Helping Hurts. It's kind of like the gold standard, I would say, for people that want to do any work globally in terms of community development or aid. There is a Christian lens to it. So I'll just say that so people know that when they're reading it. But the principles are solid in that we are not the end-all, be-all, knowledgeable saviors, to your point, right? Somebody who really understands community development and aid goes in and assesses what all the resources are that are already in the communities, right? The knowledge of the people that are there, 
the people that they can access and resources they can access. And then more than anything, you're more of like a coordinator of all of those people and resources. And then you maybe fill in the gaps where there is lack, but you're not coming with like, we've got the, the solution to solve your problem. And really they have the solution just needs to be brought out of them in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, that's really, Oh, that's so fascinating. So did you, I don't know. I guess one thing that would be interesting is did you have an aha moment like where you because you came in with the imposter syndrome and feeling like you couldn't do it and then you (laughs) and then you did. But you had all this experience from nonprofit, but this was a totally different type of nonprofit. Did you just have any kind of aha moment that you were like, oh, yeah, I see something different about helping in this way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that was it, Rabia. It was the aha moment that I think so many times it was like, people can't do this without us, right? We are the the catalyst to kind of save these people and, oh, you know, poor them, right? Poor these people fill in the blank with what if it's somebody suffering with a disease or somebody suffering in poverty or whatever. But I think the aha for me was realizing that there's a way to serve that dignifies the individual. Mm. And then there's a way to serve that actually just in a way almost can oppress them and enable them to just keep like living off of those who want to help them. Right. Mm -hmm. So here, here's an example. And this, this kind of happened at the time that outside the bowl was colluding with my work at the church and everything. But I'd seen this amazing thing on YouTube about this pop-up store for the homeless. And it was started in South Africa. And basically Mm -hmm. what the person did was they collected all of this clothing, but then they set it up on the street like a store Mm -hmm. and they invited the people, the homeless people to come in and they had like a shopping concierge kind of escort the person through the pop-up store and they got to choose what they wanted, you know, like choose what color shirt they liked and match it with a pair of pants and pick out shoes and actually get the experience Mm. of being like a consumer, but they didn't have to pay anything. And I loved it because it was so much more than like, here, you're going to get my leftover holy sweat stained shirt that I donated, you know, when in I was a trash out bag. Clo- in a trash bag. Exactly. It gave people the sense of, wow, I actually have a say in how I'm going to, you know, pick myself up a little bit. So that I think kind of was my first experience with that. And then it kind of rolled into my time at Outside the Bolt. The cool thing was all of our kitchens there were uh, managed by local staff. Mm. So in Haiti, they were Haitians. In Mexico, they were Mexicans. And so it was like people reaching into their own community, bringing in their own staff to work in the kitchen and all of that stuff. So then I got to learn from them. Right. And I didn't come in as like, Oh, it's the person from headquarters, the American coming in to tell you what to do. I got to go in and be like, Oh my gosh, like how are things going? Are we like our our operations, right? Are, Are we feeding the people the right food or cause like, 
in some countries, we could go in and be like, this is the best food. You guys are going to love it. And they're like, we don't eat that. Yeah. Right. Like we're not going to eat that. Even if we're hungry, like that's not the food that we eat. So all of those, it was such a learning process for me. Hmm. See that there's a way to serve that actually really dignifies people. Yeah. That's, I I don't know. It all sounds incredible. And that pop-up shop too. I mean, that's just really cool. And then I guess, so to me, and this is where I'm just going to ask a question that might not come off right, but we'll see like what your, what your work just sounds like you're doing nonprofit work, but then there's, it's faith-based as well. And so what does that mean? So you mean like the example of outside the bowl versus. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, cause to me, like I could say, okay, that just sounds like there doesn't seem to be like, if I would work there, is it, it's faith-based, but for me, it just sounds like it's just, it's a nonprofit where you're feeding people. Right. And so how did yeah. it, what is it categorize itself as faith-based? And then what did it mean to you to move into that in your career? Yeah. That, so that's a really good question. So in my experience, a lot of the difference was in the running of the business operations. So mm-hmm. one thing that I just loved about it is on Monday mornings, we would sit together and we would pray about the week. And we would just ask for guidance and direction and provision. And we were able to encourage each other and kind of just in in a situation where you're working in an organization that's very faith forward, there's a connection with people that um, maybe you don't have, right? Mm -hmm. Like in your, in, in more of a secular world. So if we were really struggling with something as an organization, or here's an example, like in Haiti, mm-hmm. th- there was a lot of violence around our mm-hmm. kitchen in Port-au-Prince. And we would get calls from our Haitian staff and they were like, we can't deliver food today because there's so many riots in the street. Will you pray for us? Mm-hmm. We would stop what we were doing and everybody would pray for them. You know, so so there's the internal differences in that regard. And then externally, I would say when you're working in an organization like that, like the people that we delivered to, because many of them were faith based themselves, it was kind of that same thing where you could say to them, hey, reach out to us for whatever it is that you need. Right. If you. Oh gosh, you're telling us that you need Bibles. Well, we don't have Bibles, but like, let us see if we can connect you to another pastor in the community that maybe does have Bibles. So everything is, again, kind of under that umbrella of we're doing this because out of an outpouring of gratitude and thankfulness to God, we Mm -hmm. want to pour into the lives of people in our communities. And and we want to give thanks to God that we're able to do that, right? So if I was at the National MS Society, I couldn't be like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful to God that you came to our organization. You're our biggest fundraiser. Unless I knew they were a Christian, that might be right. weird. But in a faith-based organization, you could be like, we've been praying for you, for you to come to our organization. Yeah. And here you are. You know, so it's just, I would say, a little bit different in that. Not all the decisions that we made as a staff were maybe the business decisions that you would make if you weren't a Christian. Our founders had really, really strong faith in that where they would say, this may not be like the most sound business decision, but we truly believe that this is the decision that God would have us make for our organization. So we're going to follow through Mm. with that. And then, you know, obviously if it's you're wrong in that, then there's the earthly consequences or the business consequences that you have to deal with. Right. 
I hope, does that kind of clarify a little yeah. bit of the differences? Yeah. Well, but partly it seems like almost a shared, well, you have your, your Christianese, I guess. I mean, it's a shared, <laughs> it's partly that, I guess, but partly like, yeah, you have a shared way of speaking and way of working. So like in a, in a secular business or organization, you also have common shared languages and way of working, totally. right? So it's just a yeah. different, it's just a different one. And then maybe, maybe when you were at the MS Society, you did feel like, or I don't want to say you felt like, but you did maybe pray about something. Cause it's not like you weren't a Christian when you were working there. It's just, you right. weren't expressing your faith. Right. So you maybe did yeah. pray about something and it happened, but yeah, then you weren't able to express yourself as openly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it just, I guess it just allowed me to, uh, live more into my faith in a more right. open way. And right. it's, the, it's the same way at Rivend, right? Where mm-hmm. we're an organization, a membership organization of Christians, basically. And so I remember like right when the pandemic started and I was so anxious and so nervous mm-hmm. and just kind of like a wreck. I remember reaching out to my boss and just being like, can we have a prayer meeting where anyone on the team who wants to come can just come pray together? And that for me just provides a lot of, I don't know what the word is like satisfaction, but it's a a sense of like, I get to bring my full self to work. Right. Yeah. You can be authentic, right? Authentic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like anyone should be able to do that. I mean, here's another cool thing about thriving. So uh, along the spectrum of the Christian faith, you have a lot of different beliefs, right? Yeah, you have sure. some people that are like very accepting and very, I would say, progressive, right? Mm-hmm. So there's people who are supporting and conducting same-sex marriages and all of that. And then you've got the people on the other end of the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. What I love about Thrivent is we don't take a stance on theology. We don't take a stance on lifestyle. None of that. We say we're an organization of Christians. If you want to work here, you are welcome here and you will be, you will be treated fairly here and you can bring your full self to work here. So right now, like this whole month, we have a whole like speaker series happening on that, you know, that the LGBTQ business networking Mm. unit is leading. We had a, we had a whole, what do they call them? Listening circle on like trans experiences and stuff. So I'm so proud of our organization for just welcoming everybody into our fold. You don't have to be a Christian to work at Thrivent, but knowing that we're an organization of Christians, you make the choice, you know, if you want to be here or not. And I think that that's awesome. And I mean, I have people just on my team that run the gamut in terms of their, you know, family structure and all of that. It's cool. That is cool. And I think what's, cool about it. And I really appreciate you talking to me about this because it's, it's hard for me to ask and I get uncomfortable with my own questions with different people, but, but I I do want to ask, I do think it's important to have these conversations. And one thing that's cool is I have a friend who was working at a company and she's Jewish, but she's the only person to her knowledge that was Jewish. And they were having a, a staff retreat on Passover. And for her, that created a problem. Right. And so I think what's interesting is it's open in that way. Then it's like, yeah, the person's aware of what they're going into because you can go into an organization and not be aware. You can go into an organization that isn't accepting whatever way it doesn't, it could be religion or 
race or, you know, sexuality or anything like that. But you could go into any organization and not know that you're going to be accepted. Because I think a lot of people, you like someone like me, I just assume I'm always going to be accepted because I'm just like this kind of, you know, white, like cis, whatever person. But if you're a person of faith or of color or of another sexual orientation or something, then yeah, there's all these things that you could be walking into. So at least like with your organization, you know, okay, well, I'm working for a Christian organization, right? So I know that. So Mm -hmm. if I made that choice to work there, of course, I'm not going to sit there and (laughs) I don't know what, don't tell everybody anti-Christian stuff or whatever. And you can expect some stuff's going to be focused there, but you're aware of that. So I think that's, that was really a long way of saying, I think that's really cool because it actually becomes more accepting and there's just a knowledge, like a common knowledge walking in. Right. So that's, that's, that is cool. Yeah. Um, And and it's like you said, it's important to talk about because, well, you and I are people that can have a conversation about difficult things without mm -hmm. attacking one another. And I think that that's where we see as you and I were talking about even before we started recording today, Mm -hmm. just people don't have respect for other people's perspectives. And I think that that's so important. Right. And so at Thrivent, we usually start our meetings like with some type of a prayer or a reflection or something like that. And we actually talked about this, Rabia, because you were going to come with me and build a home in Budapest mm-hmm. before yeah. the pandemic. And we yes, were doing that I, with Habitat. Yeah. I still want to do. Yeah. I know. You've got to do it when they start building again. But, you know, we had talked about and I said, hey, just mm-hmm. want to make you aware that because of the fact we're an organization of Christians and Habitat is, well, we're going to pray. You don't have to participate mm-hmm. and you won't be looked down upon if you don't, right? Like everyone's going to yeah. respect what decision you make for yourself. Um, yeah. And Habitat, yeah. are they a Christian organization anyway? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. But yeah, I remember I was concerned because I just didn't want to, I don't know. And I, I didn't know if I would pray or not. I mean, I might, you know, yeah. I don't know. But it was, it was something and I felt, with you, I could ask you like, Hey, is this okay? This is where I'm at on my, right. No, whatever with my beliefs. And I wasn't sure. Yeah. How I just, you know, I just want to make sure it would be okay. You know? So that was, and I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad that you asked so that we could have the conversation. You could feel comfortable because I Mm -hmm. feel like sometimes there's misconceptions or even people listening to the podcast, like they may have a, had maybe a misconception of what it means to work for, a faith-based organization. Like you have to be a Christian that attends church every week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. Or just, yeah. Or one idea I've had sometimes is like that there's going to be a certain agenda, which a lot of it is the agendas that, or a lot of those agendas are the ones that like, to me just kind of, you know, condemn people for having a certain lifestyle. And like, it's to me important that I am, associated with or part of organizations that don't do that. Right. Right. And so that's one thing that when I thought, Oh, faith-based, like, what does that mean? And that's helpful Mm -hmm. to know, like it, like there are probably organizations that have certain agendas, but like an organization like yours doesn't. And that's right. Or the agenda is more inclusive, inclusivity really. And just, you know, which is truly what I, I would, I I believe that like Christianity is about anyway, if I Mm -hmm. look at it right. Yeah, so that's, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I would, I'd say, you know, as I was making the leap from a more secular nonprofit to faith-based, that was super important to me to ask the questions that you're talking about. Like, 
what what is it what do you think your organization is doing under mm-hmm. the cloak of a faith-based organization right because i want to mm-hmm. know because like you i want to be involved in organizations that are spreading love and are unifying and so if if you're not doing that then i don't want to be a part of it mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know? No, that's really, well, Nicole, thank you so much. Cause that was just really, for me, just probably a highlight of my week for sure. Just talking to you about this, but also just you being able to share about all that, you know? Oh yeah. No, thanks under- for, thanks for creating a safe space to do it. I think, <laughs> I mean, that speaks volumes for you cool. as a host, you know? Oh, awesome. Well, thanks. So I want to talk to you a little bit about then you had a trip to Haiti that was really life changing for you. Right. When you, and, and you talked a little bit about the situation there, but can you just talk about that trip and its impact? Yeah. I mean, I had, had grown up in my life going to Mexico. And obviously, if you've been to any part of Mexico, you've seen there's the beautiful touristy side of it. And then there's the side that there's a lot of poverty, right? People mm-hmm. living in poverty. And, and I'd seen that before. And I think that that's what I expected when I went to Haiti. But from the moment, you land in Port-au-Prince, all of your senses are overwhelmed with the sense of poverty that is there. From what you're seeing to the smell, just to the environment uh, is so harsh, right? It's so hot and it's so humid. And you're just like, I was completely overcome with my experience from the minute I got on my transportation from the airport to our living, our living accommodations for the week, which Rob, we had like a 14 foot fence with more barbed wire across the top mm. and armed guards like 24 seven, right? Cause Port-au-Prince is no joke. There's an 80% unemployment rate there. The government is beyond corrupt and people are just literally living day to day. They are in full on survival mode there. The place that we stayed the first night we were there, the air conditioning had like a, like a swamp or anything. The air conditioning wasn't working. And I thought I was going to die that night. And I'm yeah. not even like joking. I was sleeping in a bathtub of my own sweat. It was so oh. hot. The, the water when we got there was like water, electricity, Wi-Fi, all of that is hit and miss. You know, kind of like maybe if you're lucky, you have it that day. If you don't, you don't. And, you know, we've been traveling and it was so hot. And we were like, all right, let's take a shower. And I remember I turned on the shower and it was it was dribbling like the the width of my pinky finger. That's kind of how much water was coming out. And I was just like, wow, I'm here for a week. You quickly realize, Radia, how privileged you are. Yeah to flick on the light switch and it comes on 100% Mm. of the time and your water turns on all the time. So we went about in the community and met a lot of the partners that we were providing food to and just hearing the stories of a lot of the kids living in the orphanages. They're not even orphans, Rabia, but their parents literally give them up because they can't take care of them. Right. Um, So sad. Yeah, it's it's so sad. And just the, the stories of loss that people shared with me in many ways because like death and tragedy is is almost a norm there it's very much like a like a dog eat dog kind of world and people would tell me about these like terrible tragedies people losing families in the 2010 earthquake or 
people um, losing families to the violence and stuff like that. And they just talk about it so matter of factly, mm-hmm. like that's just their life, right? So, but in the midst of it, so many of the people that I met there, especially at the little churches and the pastors that were serving the communities, there was this overwhelming joy that I don't, I'm telling you, I didn't understand where that would come from if not for their belief in God and the hope that they had in him. Because I would look at their situation and be like, you have no reason for joy, no reason for hope, (laughs) no reason for smiles, like nothing, you know? And I fell in love with the Haitian people. The ones that I experienced were just beautiful souls, wonderful people. And the kids obviously fall in love with them Mm -hmm. when you meet them. And so I left from that trip. We had, we had, many very scary experiences in the five days that I was there more than I've had like in my life. And when I left, even though I was there for such a short time, I had exactly what you mentioned your last guest. I had so much guilt and Mm. so much just this sense of, I just got on a plane and left Port-au-Prince and flew to my house that has every convenience in the world because I was lucky to be born where I was born into the family I was born in. And I could just leave that place with a snap of a finger. And they couldn't leave. Couldn't, like, the majority of them can't leave, right? You have right. the ones that are successful, but they're few and far between. And I was in a very bad place for probably a good three months after that. I just mm-hmm. would look at everything differently around our country. I-, I went to my son's soccer game a week after I got home and the parents, I was mad at them and so just enraged that they cared so much about their kid playing soccer. And I was yeah. like, wait, you know that 10 year old soccer doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of life. You're really getting enraged and upset about your son's soccer playing time. But the 10 year old yeah. I just left in Haiti don't have meals. So my perspective was so different, Robbie. And I was kind of like, I don't know what, how would you describe something? I was just like, every, like every, I was like, just like over it kind of like over it. Yeah. yeah. Like we had magazines arrived at the house, like shape or fitness or whatever. And I was like, ah, stupid. And I'd like rip out the page. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, who gives a crap about this? This is like yeah. so inconsequential. Right. And I, so I like swung to the completely other side of yeah. just my view of life really. Yeah, um, which that's hard because you're, I mean, and it's not like, well, I, for you, a solution isn't like, you're not just going to give up all your stuff and walk away. You know, you can't do that. And it doesn't make any sense. It sounds like you're a bit almost, you're just not empty, but you're just full of something else, right? Like full of guilt, <sighs> like you said, and it, it was manifesting itself to anger and, mm-hmm. you know, that yes. kind of thing. Yeah. And you're so right. I was full of guilt and I was, I felt really helpless Mm -hmm. to do anything. I mean, yes, our organization was making a difference, but there was still a lot of, you know, people that were, that were going to be going without and that were not going to be affected by the work that we were doing and stuff. And so you just start like a little bit. I was like, what, like, what's the point? You know, I can't, can't help everybody. So what's the point? And then I got to a place where I was like, wait a minute, but I can like help somebody or I can help 
a couple somebody's, right? So I was able to get myself to that place where I was happy with that. And knowing that I, Nicole, can't fix everything or, or anything, but all I can do is do my part. So if I do my part, and Rabia, you do your part, yeah. and my friend does her part, you know, then everybody's having an impact in some way mm-hmm. on somebody. Yeah. Well, it's that existential crisis, right? Of It's all meaningless, but then it's not. And I think that that's very key. And that's something I've told people about. It's our job. Well, I feel like my purpose, I think it's all our purpose is to have an impact where we can. Yeah. So we're not all Oprah giving away cars. We're not all I don't know who else does things, but you know, we're not, I don't know yeah. everyone, but we make the impact where we can. And yeah. 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 I think you're, you're there already. You're wiser than me. Cause I was like, I need to make an impact everywhere, but you can't. And that's okay. And just likewise with different, let's say organizations locally, mm-hmm. like, Maybe you can't make a home impact with the homeless and the sex trafficker survivors and the orphans, but like, you know, do what, what you're passionate about, whatever cause you're passionate about and like give of yourself into that cause. Mm-hmm. Right. And make an impact there. And I'm, I'm so such a believer that people who serve, right. You yep. think, well, I'm going to go out and serve and I'm going to bless or whatever, these other people, but it's always the, the one who's doing the work. I feel like that almost receives more of a blessing. Oh, for sure. Right. Like it is the giver that also receives and not, not really expecting that. Yeah. Yeah. You try to be selfless, but you're getting something out of it. Right. And it's okay. I mean, that's part of it. If you give, you receive. And I think people make fun of the whole idea that if you think positively, positive things will happen. And, oh, I manifested it and stuff. But the Mm -hmm. fact is you do, you know, I mean, that's the fact, right? So it's the same with that. Maybe it's not in the way you think, but even if you are giving, then you will receive back. And maybe the receiving is that sometimes it's just a smile. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Or sometimes it's, it's a thank you. Or sometimes it's something way more, but you don't know. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it doesn't happen right away, you know? Yeah. We haven't talked uh, in a, lo- a while, actually talked when I mean, we see each other on Facebook, but I had an opportunity to finally say thank you for your impact on me 20 years ago. You don't always know when it's going to happen. So but mm-hmm. I, I do think it's so important if people just give what they can. And for all doing that, then there's going to be more. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think that people have to have the expectation that what they're doing is completely altruistic. Because to your point, mm-hmm. I don't know that that is even possible right Mm -hmm. i i feel like it's just the cool symbiosis between the person that's serving and you know the activity that you're doing or whatever it's just i i don't think i've ever ever in all my years of coordinating volunteers volunteering going on volunteer i've never heard anyone be like well that was like just an awful experience a waste of a day Right? No way. I no wish way. I wouldn't have done that today. Like nobody ever no. does that. No, they might have moments during that day where they're like, you know, I had to do, I was volunteering at an MS walk and it's kind of funny when you go from being on stage to just being <laughs> down in the. <laughs> Picking up cones. Yeah. Be like, and I was with my nephew and niece and we got put to cheer for people. And I was kind of like, Ugh. 
I didn't want to do it. But then I was like with the kids, right? So I have to be a good example. And, and it ended up being great because you're doing it and you're just cheering for people and it sounds lame. And then I I was at a walk another time and I was walking by the people cheering and it really does uplift you as a walker to have people cheering for you. And you don't realize that on your bike or whatever. And then so it was like, oh, getting to do that, I was giving that to other people. And then they'd smile or say thank you and you get that back. Yes. And so. I mean, it's a simple exchange at that point, you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, I was like, oh, why am I doing this? I used to have a team. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Don't you know who I am? I'm a big deal. I am Robbie Akum. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I agree. And at the end of the day, it was an awesome experience. So I think you're right. I don't see how people volunteer and have a really bad, maybe if you get run over or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> I don't know. My husband, when we were building a house in Mexico, put a nail gun through his finger. And at the, at the end of the day, he still had a great time. <laughs> and, he could, and he could see through his finger. And he could see through his finger. Like, thread it with some fishing wire. Gross. So gross. That's really gross. <laughs> There's probably oh a Reddit God. or a Tumblr for habitat injuries or something. It's oh, I am weird. sure. I am sure. I mean, plug for Habitat. They do an amazing job of safety. And in fact, this wasn't a Habitat build. Had it been, he probably wouldn't have not have been working with that nail gun in that capacity. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So going back to just your that experience then and it changing you, how are you carrying that forward now mm-hmm. in your life? How's that showing up? Yeah, I think it just, Ravia, gives me a perspective that I wouldn't have had in my everyday life, right? So I wouldn't say like, oh, I'm carrying it so much forward in my job. I think it more affects me just personally Mm -hmm. when I am met with challenges or have setbacks in my life. I think I can always just like we were talking about earlier, look to that experience and be like, whoa, Like, let's actually put this in the proper perspective. And we've always heard this. I think it's a hashtag now for (laughs) world problems, the hashtag. But that is a very real question to ask myself when I start feeling bad or about myself or down or like frustrated about a situation that I'm in. I can always look back and be like, where is this on the totem pole of importance? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's probably pretty low in comparison to what I've experienced and what I've seen people experiencing living through and still thriving. So I think that's really more than anything what it's done for me. It's just given me that kind of, I don't know, maybe it's like a tool in my toolkit that I can pull mm-hmm. out when I need a little perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's perspective. Yeah. Cool. So then, when did you end up moving over to Thrivent? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I moved over to Thrivent in 2017. And I actually met Thrivent through my role at Outside the Bowl. I, I'm i this person, Rabia, who like every couple of years, I get restless. I don't know if you're one of those people. Like I'm always yeah. looking for what's the next thing or whatever. And so I was feeling a little bit restless. I've been with Outside the Bowl about three years. And I, I will say this. Fundraising is really hard. Mm-hmm. For people that are in it for the long term, it talk about burnout. Like it is an it is a very exhausting endeavor, it, but it's purposeful and it's meaningful, and I think that that's why people do it. But I was tired, and I was like, you know, I 
I could use a change up to just do something different. And I still want to have a purpose and I still want to make an impact. Yeah. So I had caveats. I wasn't just going to leave to, like we said, go with the widgets. So when I met Thrivent, I heard about their mission, heard about their purpose. And I thought, well, this is really cool. I've never heard of an organization like this before. So it's a basically a Fortune 300 size company mm-hmm. that I think is more generous and is able to be more generous than practically any other company because we're tax exempt. So because we're a 501c8, we're a not-for-profit, we are a multi-billion dollar company that doesn't pay taxes for mm-hmm. profits. And instead, we get to funnel those dollars back into the communities through our members who are our owners. I was like, this is so cool. Tell me more. What's the purpose of what I'm doing? So I was worried initially when I did come to Thrive and I thought, am I going to feel like I'm not enough on the front lines? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not making a big enough impact. But what I have found since now being here four and a half years is I get to interact with more nonprofits just in terms of numbers than I would have ever gotten to interact with before. And I get to make an impact alongside them just in a different way. So as where before I was working directly with the people that were fighting MS, right? I was shoulder to shoulder with them. Well, now I'm shoulder to shoulder with the CEO of the organization saying, Mm. how can we use Thrivent's resources to really multiply your efforts, right? Yeah. So that's a little bit different in that I'm not kind of with the people, but I still love it because I, I still get to see impact. And I also have found that I actually really do care about our purpose. And our mm-hmm. purpose, like I mentioned earlier, is we help Christians find financial clarity so that they can live lives of meaning and gratitude. And I think that that is a really cool charter because we've seen that when people are at a place with their finances where they have clarity and they're stable, meaning they're not living in scarcity, right? Mm -hmm. But they're actually stable with their finances. That doesn't mean they're like bazillionaires with surplus, but they're stable. We find that they're able to then give more of themselves, Mm -hmm. more of their time, more of their money, more of their emotional support to people around them. So they're just better citizens of the world, mm-hmm. right? Because we all know with money troubles comes a whole host of issues, right? Yeah. I mean, there's fighting in our relationships. People are stressed out. They're losing sleep. They're having health problems. These things stem from money issues. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, whoa, if I can be a part of an organization that's going out providing free financial education to help people, get to that place of financial clarity, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Mm -hmm. And so I still feel like I'm living in service because the people that we work with, a lot of times pastors, members of congregations, nonprofit leaders, they'll come in and say to us, you know, we have really needed these tools and resources, but we haven't known where to find them. Or we haven't had an organization that's reputable enough that we feel like we can bring in and really share with our congregation. So I feel like in many times we are, yeah, we're making an impact, not only to the leaders, but to the people that they lead, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Yeah, that is. And money, I mean, it is a problem because so many people don't have, and and it's, I think the pandemic's made that even more clear, like the whole situation now where the wages aren't matching unemployment. 
that's not the problem. Well, this is a little bit political, I guess, but that's not a problem with the people. That's a problem with the system. You can't blame yeah. the people that their job that they go to and work full time isn't paying them more than unemployment is. That's exactly. actually a systemic issue, right? Systemic so, issue, yeah. And so, but then also you don't, I mean, I didn't learn to manage my money as mm-hmm. a kid. And I think that's why there are generational issues too, right? Where, yeah, yeah. So I think that's cool because there's a lot of information out there and you can look up anything you want. And I have a bank that I use that has free like services, SoFi. And oh. so they have free career counseling, actually. That's one thing they oh, offer. Awesome. But also they do like free like money counseling. And of course, sometimes it'll lead to they'll recommend you get a loan and then it's through them or you don't get one through them. I mean, it's up to you. But like mm-hmm. the fact is like they're providing practical, like what are your short term goals? OK, let's get you through one thing at a time, which you guys mm-hmm. probably do similar. And exactly. I think it's so freeing. I mean, I've been in that situation where I'm like, I owe money to everyone and I don't know what to do. And I was working full time, you know, but yeah. it's just you spend money because capitalism and stuff, but it is, it's such a burden. And then like the less you have and the more debt you have, the worse it is. So I think that that is a service to people, just their peace of mind, if anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most people are underserved. Like you said, if you're family didn't teach you, you're probably not learning it in school. And there's a wealth of resources out there. But I think sometimes it's just hard for people to get their hands around. It's also hard to know who they can trust because Mm -hmm. there's right. It's an industry that has not the best history in terms of people being ethical. And so I think that and there's this whole issue of money being a source of shame and fear and embarrassment. Yeah. And our pastors tell us, People will come and talk about their sex life problems before they come and talk about their money problems. Which is so interesting. <laughs> I would think that like sex would be well under money, but or no. maybe they just have none of any of it. So they're like, here's the problem. I don't have any sex or money. It seems one's, one's easier to take care of than the other. So can you help me? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we're like, well, okay, let's bring that into the light. Let's yeah. talk about money. Let's not make people feel ashamed about their money. We will meet you where you are yeah. and we will help you develop a plan and a path forward. And that's one thing that I love about Thrivent is all of our advisors are guides for people, right? So they take you from fence post to fence post or whatever, checkpoint to checkpoint along your life. And If you say, you know, hey, advisor, my goal is I want to pay off my debt and then I want to save for a house and then I want to save for retirement. They're like, cool, let's do that. And I'm going to help you get there and Mm -hmm. to a degree, hold you accountable, right? In in a like loving way. But if Robbie, you're like, I want to pay off my debt and then you're spending all of your money at Starbucks, they're going to say, hey, let's check in about that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we see our competitors not as other financial institutions. I love hearing about what your bank is doing. They're not our competitor. No. Our competitors are the the giants of the world that are telling people that they need to consume more and more and more and yeah. more to be happy, right? Yeah. Consumerism is is our our foe or whatever. Yeah. Our competition. Yeah, it, it all makes sense and we could do a whole other thing just on like the money because it's insane, right? And I don't know if anyone listening right now is going, oh, yeah, but there are different ideas about that. There was something I was hearing a podcast where the lady said, like, do you love it? 
do you want it? Do you need it? Or something like that. But if you want it, you don't get it because you'll get joy from just the purchase of it. But that's it. Do you need it? Get it. And then if you really love it, and it's always going to bring you joy constantly. But like a lot of people just get stuff they want, and then they just have a bunch of stuff. And you have trash, basically. You have a bunch of stuff, a bunch of trash. Yeah, that you have to throw away eventually. (laughs) Exactly. And a year, you're going to be like, why did I buy this? Yeah. I don't even use this, right? And toss Mm -hmm. it out or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then outside of work, you have some things you do too that are just interests. So what, what do you do outside of work that kind of brings you meaning as well? Yeah. Well, so the funny thing is, even though so much of my job, I spend helping plan events and fundraising activities and stuff like that. I, mm-hmm. I still have my own causes that I still really care about outside of Thrive. And so as you know, Habitat for Humanity is kind of one of those twofers where yeah. I work with them in my job, but in my personal life, it's a cause that I really care about too. And so pre-pandemic, loved going down to one of the local Habitat sites and spending the day building house, you know, alongside the homeowner. Awesome. By the way, that's a great model for giving a hand up and not a hand out. I love Habitat's model. So for anyone who's looking for that, you know, yeah, it's a great model. L- love the San Diego Rescue Mission and, and volunteer with them in different capacities. Just think that their mission is amazing and the way that they carry it out is fantastic as well. So I try to find ways to still be involved at those organizations and, and not burn out. Like you said, yeah. like not overcommit myself, but as much as I can, and I'm trying to bring my son, he's 14, right? Along on that journey as well mm-hmm. and help him see that a life of service and a life of generosity is actually wonderful mm-hmm. and it's super fulfilling. And so not 2020, but 2019, because we were still in the pandemic in 2020, 2019, before we headed out of town for Christmas, we went down to the called Taco, the Third Avenue Charitable Organization in downtown San Diego. And they're awesome. They actually provide meals to the homeless community almost every day of the week. So you can imagine the volunteer needs that they have for pulling that off. It's like a well-oiled machine. And we took him down and we did like a three-hour stint with them where he gets to see that not everybody is living like we live in Carmel Valley, that there are people that are struggling with real issues that have had hard roads to walk in life. And they're people too. They deserve dignity too. And so for him to be able to interact with some of the people there and the majority of them are like, Hey buddy, thanks for coming out and volunteering. What's your name? So great to meet you. You know, just wonderful experiences for him. He literally, when we left was like, when can we go back and do that? Awesome. Yeah. You know, so I think that that just that heart of compassion and the desire to make an impact, I think, is growing in him. And so we're working on that. And he's 14 and very, you know, he has his own things that he wants to do. So outside of that, I mean, we're, we're a fun, active family. We've been really getting into mountain biking over the pandemic, believe it or not. That's been like our whole family experience because we're like we can do this safely it's outside there's nobody around let's do it so that's kind of been our what do they call it like your pandemic hobby yeah yeah right oh cool Um, yeah but i will say it's been 
interesting to find ways to serve in the midst of that, right? Mm. Because we're so used to being with the people. We couldn't be with the people for over a year. So even within Thrivent, trying to help our members find ways to utilize Thrivent's generosity programs, we came up with these different COVID safe activities that they could still perform. A lot of like drive-through stuff, right? Mm. Where you drive through, you drop off a bag of food that's going to go to the local food pantry. Or one of the things that the rescue mission did that I loved is they did a drive-through thing where you picked up materials to make like tie blankets. Oh, And then, so you could get one or two, you take them home, you make the blankets, and then you brought them back just in the drive-through setting. And then they sent them back to the mission for, you know, their residents. So you can always find a way. Yeah. You know, even in the midst of a pandemic, find a way. Yeah. And nonprofits need the support now more than ever. Oh, for sure. Just in mm-hmm. in in donation and in volunteering. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of them have been more busy now. The pandemic created a lot of problems for people who are unhoused and people who are living in unsafe situations. So right. yeah, it's really rough. I know here too, they're having the same thing. Mm-hmm. I I have a set of questions, the fun five, which you're probably familiar with by now. But oh, yeah, I've yeah. Heard of fun five. I'm excited. So you're going to dance to those. But before that, do you have any, I think we've touched on quite a bit, but like any last advice or mantra that you want to share that you kind of follow? I just think I would just say to people, look outside yourself and see how you can make a difference to one other person. Even like you said earlier, if it's literally with a smile or saying thank you. I, I try to do that on a daily basis, especially when I was going out in public and going to the grocery store or whatever, just seeing one extra kind word to the person who's bringing up my groceries mm. or something like that. And I think just that a little gesture can make such a huge difference. Is there, when people are thinking like, oh, I don't have time to necessarily do a formally structured service activity or whatever, you can still live in service to people. Mm-hmm. without going down to the rescue mission and serving meals. Yeah. That's what I would say. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. All yeah. right. Fun, fun five. So fun five. what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? Oh, okay. So up until about a year ago, I had a t-shirt that I had from high school. <laughs> so I don't know if this is counts, Rabia, but it was literally see-through. You would pick it up and it was completely threadbare. And I loved wearing it to bed. And finally, my husband was like, that needs to go. Like, it's (laughs) embarrassing to see you walking around in that. I can't even deal with it. It was a a Cabo San Lucas shirt. Oh, wow. Gray, see-through. And my best friend, I had stole it from her somehow (laughs) in high school, acquired it. And I also didn't want to give it away because it was like a reminder of our friendship, too. So. That's, oh. And now I couldn't even tell you because now I'm so conscious about not keeping old branded or barren shirts. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, because you got shamed about your. I did get shamed. Jeez, you know? I'm Come on. Sure. I even tried to hide it and only like wear it when he wasn't around, but then he'd like see it in the laundry and be like, what are you doing with this shirt? <laughs> get out of here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Y'all just stay out of the laundry. You're the first woman ever to tell the guy, just stay out of the laundry. Right. You know? So it's felt like Groundhog's Day a lot. I was hoping this mm. question would have been done, but it's really not because it's still very mm. much Groundhog's Day. Yeah. What song would you have your alarm set to play every morning if it was? 
Oh, well, it would not be the one on Groundhog's Day because I Got You, Babe was killing me in the movie. I know. I was so annoyed. Like, I didn't realize how annoying it was until I rewatched it, I would say, in the last year, you know? And I was like, oh, my God, I want to, like, and I like Cher. Like, Cher definitely has some bangers, but not that one. Anyway. No, no. Okay, so you're going to laugh at me and probably think I'm crazy, but this is what we do for our son because he's not a morning person Mm -hmm. we play that song i don't even know who the band is rabia it's that it's going to be the best day of your life song and it starts out like yeah 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 oh shoot i know who it is (laughs) because i found you okay i've never done this but i'm going to look it up okay because i want everyone to know and it will be on my playlist okay American authors. The American authors. That's is that the who it one. Is? Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. the one. And well, that's a nice song. It kind of is catchy, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's. I, I'm the type of person where I the alarm goes off and like I'm up and I'm out of bed and I feel like it would be very energizing. Yeah. That is the song, though. I'm, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it is American authors. It is. Awesome. All right. Well, good. That's cool. A new song, yeah. For, well, new-ish. It's not like a... I mean, it's not... I got you, babe. So... <laughs> exactly. I know. All right. Coffee or tea or neither? Ooh, coffee. Yeah. Yeah? Any kind of way or... Yeah, I like... Well, I make myself lattes at home. I like oh. espresso with a little, you know, foamy foam on the top. So... Yeah. Nice. That's, okay. That's comfort in a cup. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're like advertising. <laughs> um, so can you think of a time when you like laughed so hard you cried or the last time or sometime or something that makes you do that where you just kind of lose it? Well, typically it's with any type of like teenage potty humor that my son is watching. I don't know why I laugh so hard at bathroom <laughs> humor, but my husband will tell you if there's a movie with bathroom humor in it, I lose it. I don't know why the, the, the worst was the Ryan Reynolds movie. What was the Ryan Reynolds movie? Come on, Ravia, help me out. Where he's um, in college. Oh, like the oh shoot! I don't want to Google something again. Okay, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna tell you right now. Van Wilder. Yeah, Van Wilder. Oh my gosh! I think that was that one of the scenes in that. It's disgusting, Ravia. It's like the bridesmaid <laughs> scene where she's on the stage. yes. I can't. I just lose it. I can't not lose it. And just laughing to my, I can't even breathe. (laughs) Is that weird? I think that's weird. I don't know because I think to the older people get like my mom, if she did not think farting was funny when we were kids (laughs) at all. It was not, but now she'll laugh if the grandkids do it. Like my nephews and niece. And I'm like, you guys are lucky because we basically got in trouble for flatulence. My niece one time, this is so embarrassing. I'm just going to tell it. She asked my mom, she goes, mama, do you fart? (laughs) (laughs) Because it was like so forbidden. She'd never seen her mom fart before. No, she asked my mom. She asked my mom. She asked me like she was asking everybody. She didn't know like adults did that maybe or something. I don't know. It was so funny, but yeah. So let's do it. Yep. It's, it's bad. I'm still childish in that sense, but I think it's hilarious, I guess. I didn't grow up. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's funny. Okay, last one. Who inspires you right now? Mm. Ooh, that's a good one. 
So right now in this stage of my life, I'd have to say it's my best friend from high school. We're still super tight. And she lost her husband a year ago Mm. to a generative disease. And she is a warrior. She's got two young kids. She's making it work. And I've never luckily had anyone go through that that close to me. But watching Mm. her be with him until the end and then watching her come out of it it'll be next month it'll be well two years next month wow so and she's she's doing amazing and it's still hard you know yeah of course but she inspires me to look at my own circumstances and be like yeah no it it could be harder Yeah. yeah yeah for sure wow well, it's good that, yeah, it's good she's been able to get through it and and, and kind of probably recognizes that it's going to be like a process that does, it doesn't, grief, grief doesn't end. No. Right. It, it doesn't. just doesn't stop all of a sudden. So cool. All right. And so then the last thing, I mean, is there anything you want people to look up to find you if they are just interested in you or the oh. work you're doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. But also, if you are listening to our conversation and you're like, I could use some financial clarity, check out Thrivent, thrivent thrivent.com and just see if we could help out, you know? Cool. Yeah. And I'll have the link on the show notes on the website. Well, Nicole, this was super fun. Thank you so much. It was it was great to chat with you. you. Thank you. I'm honored to be a guest. I mean, it's been a blast. Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about the guest in the show notes and at RobbieHasSaid.com. Joe Mafia created the music just for this podcast. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Metke is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let me know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work. Follow at More Than Work Pod or send a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Or visit our website, morethanworkpod.com. Give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review if you like. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm.